Good afternoon, everyone. Good evening, I should say. Thank you very much for joining us. Tonight's session is an, an informal conversation um, with a, a professional trader or a private trader, um, Kieran Callahan. Kieran, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me. And um, you know, we've got, I've got a whole range of things to ask you, and I know you've prepared a couple of slides and some thoughts. And this is an open an open session, so. Uh, welcome to everyone who's joined us tonight. If you've got a question you want to ask Kieran as, we, as we're going along, please type it into the chat box. Um, we are also joined by, uh, let me get my slides working, this man here, the man of mystery, Ivan Cherrylove, who's finally turned up to one of uh, one of our, those that can do Learn From The Masters sessions. Ivan, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Ivan. <laughs> You actually do look like that. I remember. It does. He does. Yeah. Okay. To be fair, I have actually, uh, I have actually shaved. So, uh, but uh, I love your, uh, I love your new photo. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I think his nose is very similar nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, for those of you that, um, so Marcus asks, is there visuals? This is as good as the visuals get, Marcus. Um, but. Um, yeah, look, guys, thank you for joining us. And again, um, we uh, let's get cracking. So we met Kieran, both Ivan and I, well, general advice morning first, of course, any advice contained in today's presentation. General only does take into consideration your personal circumstances. Past returns are not an accurate indicator of future uh, returns. We do not provide any personal advice whatsoever, only general. And if you're interested in learning to trade options, uh, you need to know what you're doing, otherwise it's very, very risky. And I appreciate that um, we've also invited people from the ASX Options Trading Game. So for those of you that are new to trading, um, they, um, you know, you might find some of the concepts, some of the things we talk about tonight, you might not understand some of the lingo and so forth. Don't worry about that. I mean, the principles that we're going to be talking to ring true, doesn't matter what you trade. And uh, I'm sure you'll be able to glean quite a lot out of it. But get into technical talk, specific option strategies, just don't worry about it. You'll pick it up in good time. Um, and uh, and for those who are playing, who are playing the game, but are, are clients of ours, or uh, uh, you know, uh, just want to play around and learn it, practice a few trades, it's a great way of doing so. The game's open. You can access it by implied volatility. You can access it by the ASX's website. Um, and uh, I believe there's links in there for each market as well. Um, and in our morning reports and so forth, it's well advertised in there. So get going. I think there's now nearly a thousand people that have registered for the game. Uh, for this game round, in, in total, is I don't know. I mean, you know the stat. I think there's probably six or seven thousand people that have registered to play the game to date. Um, and uh, it should be a game. It's okay. You're about you're about four years behind, but that's okay, mate. Good work. <laughs> well, there you go. You can't be perfect. All right. So. Today, uh, Kieran, we met Kieran at, uh, I and I met Kieran at an ASX event where um, the ASX were putting on a presentation uh, aimed, I think, at maybe funds managers. Um, and Kieran was talking as a funds manager, uh, sharing some of the strategies that he used uh, for hedging uh, and talking through hedging, which is uh, on on surface, on you know, when, you, when, you, when the principles of using options to hedge are pretty straightforward, but the practical applications of it are a, a lot more, there's, there is a lot more to be considered. It's a lot trickier and needs a bit, lot more finessing than most would think. And uh, Kieran gave a brilliant presentation uh, that day and then spoke uh, on one of our options games series a little while ago. So Kieran, uh, really happy to have you join us. And, and tonight it's a, a conversation uh, less so, uh, well, as a funds manager and, and, and things that he's learned over the years, but also really for us as a group of traders to be able to talk to Kieran as a trader and how he approaches things. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. It's, um, it's a great opportunity to uh, probably reflect upon my daily reflections and get, get them verbal to other people, a bit like a bit of, a th bit of therapy, as it were. <laughs> uh, so that so that's quite nice, and having spent the last six weeks sort of in isolation, glued to my screen in in these markets, it's probably good for a bit of therapy. It doesn't involve liquid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and 
Well, I mean, what was your experience? I mean, going back to sort of late February, early March, um, you know, how how did you, how were you looking? How were you seeing the world um, at that point in time? Well, it's quite interesting. Um, I've spent the last year sort of revisiting where I began, which was I've been trading a lot of um, Delta One, so predominantly futures. Uh, all futures, uh, e-minis, and uh, our spy futures. I've been sort of price. I've been pricing and trading some options, uh, but mainly just been trading the futures. So for me, you know, I'd spent probably eight months really getting that better down, uh, even if you could say better down. Uh, and January, February was really pushing quite hard and trading uh, a lot and by my own admission trading quite well so uh that was quite nice and in actual fact on the friday afternoon before it absolutely all went pear-shaped i was i went home quite short um and got stalled out of my position really which was a bit disappointing i still ended up making some money but i uh, didn't didn't make an uh, didn't make what was uh in hindsight, a lot, of, a lot more. I possibly could have made a lot more, which um, I think I think was quite interesting. The, the, the volatility of the market, which which spent so long uh, in such a depressed vol- volatility environment, that uh, it was very very difficult to really sort of uh, move away from that position of being having to see it to believe it. So, whilst you know, the first cases were in, um, you know, in, in December in in the Wuhan and then, you know, flowing through in January. It was certainly prevalent in January and then also, and also February. It was, you know, it was alive. It was, you know, really starting to run. Even then, people really weren't considering it. So um, it, was, it was quite, it was very, very interesting times. Yeah, right. Um, let me just going back a little bit, um, how did you get started into this industry uh, and, and, and how did you start, what led you to start trading for yourself on your, on your, own, on your own bank? Okay, well, this is, I think this is really interesting and, you know, when I'd written down some notes and, and stuff to do with, so I started at Macquarie Bank in December of 1993 and uh, on the Futures floor in the Sydney Futures Exchange, which was down there um, behind the Brooklyn Hotel, just down there on Bridge Street. Uh, and it was a, an amazing, it was open outcry trading. So when you go and see those, the video of people in coloured jackets and shouting at each other and doing hand signals and doing all that sort of stuff, I, I learned all that. I'd come, I'd finished uh, an economics law degree. I'd finished the economics part. I hadn't finished the law degree at university. Um, and I'd started as a graduate trainee with, with Macquarie. I was very lucky. And that was where they used to throw most of their grads because it was a it was a great environment to learn all of the requisite skills really for all of the banking sort of arena that you needed attention to detail you know ability to concentrate take instructions learn difficult processes I suppose um, act under pressure uh, all of those sorts of things. And so there I really honed my craft. I, I started in the bank bill pit, um, in which was the, they used to call the sand pit, which is where all the, the junior traders started. And then I moved to the spy pit in 1995. Um, and the spy is the share price index for those people that are listening. So that's the ASX 200. It's the futures contract over the ASX 200. And that was where I really developed my love affair with um, for equities. Um, and And really, and for trading. Um, I was hooked right from the get-go, I suppose. Um, I then transitioned upstairs and I traded bullion uh, and then I moved to equities in 2001. So from the perspective of what one of of the few things that I did want to talk about in terms of how you get to where you get to, it's interesting, one of the things that I sort of say is that it's your, your history and your experience really you know, puts a puts a thumbprint or a fingerprint, or a, you know, it gives you your bias, for want of a better term. And for me, I joined in December 1993. There was, for those people that can remember, can't remember, doesn't really matter. 
there was a big um, interest rate bond drought in the States and in the US in the following six months in which we saw the interest rates move through 6%, so basically 1% every month. So it was a huge, volatil huge volatility. We saw, we saw rates go from, I think, sort of 6% down out to 12%. So the 10-year bonds were trading 100-point ranges and lots of stuff. So it was unbelievably volatile, extremely busy, noisy, big mistakes, big errors, lots of money made, being made and lost. And then I moved to um, the SPY, and then there was the Asian crisis of 96. Uh, and then there was a few other things along the way, long-term credit. And then I moved to Bullion and then Bank of England started selling gold. And so that was in my first month that I was there. And then I went, um, and then I moved to the actual FX interest rate desk in the middle of the, in the middle of SEP 11 and then moved upstairs to, to our equities just after. So in my sort of formative years, I just had this six, succession of, massive bear markets so every time every time i was handed a new book basically the price just fell by 20 percent so so my bias is i love to trade from the short side i find it easier to trade from the short side i can manage my position better from the short side um, by short i mean sell and so that's my bias and that's what really is important and so for people that are listening no matter what you do, um, where you come from, you have your own biases, you've learnt your own things and you've got your own experiences. And I often say to people, well, that's really where you should start. Use those skills that you actually know are real. Use those skills that are actually, that you've honed and have developed. And then use those to help you when you're trading. Because a lot of it's, a lot of it's very similar. You, know? you can make golf analogies or you can make you know, tennis analogies. There's all sorts of analogies you can make to trading. Um, so how I got into trading my own money, so I was then, I traded at Macquarie Bank for 21 years and then I became a fund manager uh, and then the fund, the funds that I was running, um, Denning Price, uh, closed down and as part of this whole ETF um, and also, you know, repatriation, passive money and all that sort of stuff and since then I've been trading my own, I've been trading my own money as it were. Um, which I can honestly tell you is the hardest thing of all those three that I've done because it requires an enormous amount of um, self-analysis and being able to sort of stand there and look at yourself and say, well, this is what I'm doing today and this is how I've done is very, very different to the other things. So it's been a wonderful journey. So I sort of say to people that it's your history and your bias which really delivers you the tools, but it's your ability to adapt and to change and to learn that will determine how successful you can be and the skills that you've acquired in other places are very very transferable to trading markets you just need to find where can i just hone in on on a couple of things there now we've spoken the first time we met uh we spoke about etfs and passive investments which i'll return to in a second and then secondly uh, i want to chat a little bit um and sorry patrick i'm now stealing the, the rain a little bit but um, uh, in, in terms of how you found the transition to trading from home because that's ultimately where I started and, and um, probably luckily haven't done since for, for, for a little while. But just in terms of ETFs, um, and although, you know, the recent stats show that, that money's flowing back into ETFs, a lot of this obviously unwind, you know, was possibly exacerbated by the concentration in ETFs. How did you find that as it was sort of, unraveling um did you kind of i mean did you expect it to be quite as bad um no no to be honest that you know a, a lot of so the best way to, i suppose would be to answer that question would be to say the experience that you have in these type of events where there is high volatility or extreme volatility is that the correlation of events and correlation of the markets and everything basically goes goes to one. Um, you can almost liken that to a sort of a volatility, you know, sorry, a, you know, a velocity or a speed, as it were. Um, and I suppose you're, when you, whilst you do have experience of how far that rubber band can stretch, I, if I go back and look at my trading 
PNL, covering positions, um, covering positions too soon is is the, is the clear indication that you've that you're un, that you're not anticipating the actual stretch as much as it can be. And I think you know, if I go back and look, that was clearly evident in my in my trading. And also with this, you know, the the savageness of the sell-off, been well documented. That's the fastest that we've ever seen. Um, I, I, anecdotal evidence would suggest that I think the machines and the ETFs and the interconnectedness of everything would indicate that that they played a huge role in in how that happened. Um, mm-hmm. If anybody wants to jump in and ask a question, please do. But so for me, I would sort of say, uh, you know, if you go from an open outcry market where for a transaction to happen, it has to actually happen in in language. You know, sell one at six. Someone says, I'll buy one. You say, sold one. Just checking, I sold you one at six. Okay, that whole process just took about three seconds. Mm. On the machine, the machines, you know, when the, one on one of the mornings in in February, I think, on a Monday morning when the S and P opened, it traded uh, twenty thousand contracts in the first sixty seconds, in an mm. eighty point range. So, um, and to give you perspective, um, today I think it took an hour and a half for those for twenty thousand contracts to trade. Mm. So that the the, mach, the machines can they can trade enormous volume through enormous price range. And for them, it's just, it's like compressing, like time gets compressed, which I mm. suppose is, this is getting a bit esoteric, but um, with respect to talking about options, because options, the whole thing about options is time, it really is quite intriguing. And for me, it's a passion. And for me, I can sit in front of the screen and watch it all the time. But because it, I, I find that time piece of it Absolutely extraordinary. Um, I think if I got a bit sidetracked there, I don't know. But um, the that the ETF part of it made those Monday mornings specifically when that hour that because it was because pre daylight saving the US market was basically the first market to open and between nine and ten to ten you had fifty minutes of just raw price order flow. And no, nothing basis. You know, there's no stocks. There's nothing for them. No fair value to trade off. It's just all orders coming from basically every corner of the globe down one massive big funnel pipe into this market, and really has to be seen to be believed. It, it just, it's like the fastest video game you've ever seen. And uh, and the price, the price movement is faster than the eye can see. Which sounds which sounds yeah. crazy. Which sounds crazy, but it's actually true. And, and so that's that velocity, that velocity, as I call it, or you know, volatility. Probably not is not a great descriptor of it. But um, the interconnectedness of everything. So you know, I think Australian. You know, I think globally, but you know, specifically in Australia, for example, you know, those, there are ETFs over U.S. stocks. And so when those U.S. futures markets open, the, the, their IP, their quants, their whatever you want to call it, are all set up to manage their risk appropriately. And I think they just had no idea of how to, how to deal with it because they've mm. been, you know, that everything's hinged around parameters and, and when things shift outside of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 standard deviation moves, this, the machines can't, you know, nobody can understand what that means. Mm. Well, especially because there's no historical precedent for, for what's happened as well. I mean, it's probably a couple of sessions during the GFC that were similar where uh, Lehman not getting the bailout would it be one of those and, and the day of the low probably would be the second in terms of the pure velocity, at least from what I remember. Yeah. Um, there's something in there that you said, by the way, just, just really quickly that I th- think is worth touching on. Uh, you mentioned sort of reflecting back on your trades. Uh, it sounds like you keep a trading journal, or at least you do go through your sort of your your trades. Um, is that fair to say? Uh, yes. Um, 
For, for a couple of reasons, the, you know, the sort of one, you'd want to go back and um, more often tend, I try to focus on the, the good trades that I've done to reinforce the, um, the positiveness of what of of the money that I've made and the good decisions that I've made. Um, and I, I'm mindful of of, it, of attaching uh, money to um, success in the sense of uh, so did I how did I trade how, did I trade well did I not trade well and I don't let that I don't let the number of dollars at the bottom of my, of my account on the day be the barometer of that um, because the P and L is, is when you learn about it P and L becomes a bit like time in itself. It, becomes a bit irrelevant really if it's a day day to you know oh geez I made money today I lost money yesterday or whatever it becomes it it's just a marker it's a point in time you know, mm. when you when you talk about all things you know if you talk about a career or you talk about a, you know if you talk about Michael Jordan let's say the the recent basketball doco on Michael Jordan you know if you watch that you know he has bad games he has good games but overall you don't you, all you can remember is what what an incredible career he's had so you try I try not to measure things on a day-to-day -day basis and that's been that was something I learned I discovered early on if you if you measure yourself by that daily if you measure yourself by that daily measure it's it's fraught with danger because you you get very short-sighted and then and then you you basically put a ceiling on yourself from performance and then you, you'll never really get moving in the right direction in, in the speed that you want to Karen, a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, but there are a couple no. of questions coming through, um, and sort of similar sort of things. You know, Ian's asked, David asked, and there was someone else in there as well. I think maybe Paul. Um, you know, what are the what are the prospects for retail traders in a market that has so much technology complexity? Is computer trading a way going forward? And um, has trading become a lot more difficult these days with machine dominating market flows and speed of execution? So, so some common themes through those questions. Do you want to have a crack at answering? What's your What's your view on that? <laughs> um, so I think we should just turn all the machines off and go back to the floor. That'd suit me perfectly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I can get there and I can shout and scream at people and have fun again. Um, and they stop for lunch. No. Yeah, my answer to that is is that I, th I think what we've seen is uh, a move to absolute latency being you know the absolute key. So, and that is trading to a millionth of a second and all that sort mm. of stuff. Uh, I think we've I think we've gone past that point. Speed obviously was always, and we're back at time again. Time was always of the essence, and that was the most important thing. Um, now, what's happened is, is that I think we're gradually moving. We're moving back from that. Um, yeah. It's still very, very important, but it becomes your. So, it, it, the most important thing when it comes to trading, whichever it may be for the retail guy, is I think is there's there's a quite a, there's, there's a lot of lessons, but there's there's a few things like. Work out what you want to work out. It is what it is what, that you want to trade. So, for example, a guy that or a girl that loves um, real estate, uh, and they think they know a lot about real estate, and they've you know they've looked at this, and they've looked at that, and and they can trade that. They they should be looking to trade. They should be looking for deals and for trades that involve somewhere where they can actually look at what the information and, and have their own opinion. So the key to that is what do you need to do? You need to work out what your opinion is and what's my opinion and then how do I best express that? What's the best tool that I can use to express my opinion? Because then I can scale my bet to however I want it and then when it goes right, I'm to I get the pat on the back, and when it goes wrong, I get the kick in the tail. Because the um, and and what that means is to so what that means is then you can 
start by having a trade on things that you know and then you understand and then you can start developing those skills. So use what you already have and then try and parlay that into market information. Um, for, you know, for a doctor that, for actually I'll use, an, I'll use an actual example of a friend of mine who's in advertising and he's just, he was, um, he, he'd been through, he'd been doing a pitch to some people about a certain deal and they'd come and talk to him about um, this new sort of style of marketing and everything that they were going to try and investigate and he just thought it was a really good product. He figured, it, he figured out where he could access that in terms of it was a US company and he went and bought the company. Well, not bought the company, bought the shares in the company. And, the, and because he just liked the idea, he knew what he, knew what he was doing because he's in advertising and he knew about marketing and stuff like that. And the, and the information that had been presented to him, he went, yeah, well, I think that can work. And so he then was able to go and make that decision. And it was, he proved that he was right and he was actually happy to walk away. But, so it's so it's those sorts of it's those sorts of positions that you can do, and then if you want to then parlay this into your great tool, which is this options the options game or the options facility that you've got, implied volatility, you then just got for for want of a better term, you know, the clubs in the bag, which is you know the strategies, and you just need to find the underlying on which to put that strategy. And once you know, then you can try that and see how that works, and then you know you'll be able to use that again. So, in terms of where does the retail guy go? He wants to go, or she, he, she wants to go to what they know, and then they want to use that because then what happens is is that their account they can be accountable to themselves, and that's the key. The one thing I've learned in the last year is that you have to be accountable to yourself. You've got to stand stand in front of the mirror and say, "Yep, yeah, I made that decision. It was wrong." I made that decision, it was right. I made that decision, it was wrong, but I stuck in there and I, and I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled and I got it back to square. That was good. What did I learn? I learned some resilience there. I've got some grit. How do I change my plan? But all oh, it just comes back to this. It just keeps coming back again and again and again. So we're back at the, how did my trade diary go? What did I do today? Have I made mistakes again today? So if we go back to the to the retail guy, there's definitely place for the retail guy in the market. And I actually think where the retail guy has a, has an advantage is that they aren't sitting in front of the screen the whole time, is one. And the second thing is that they have an opinion, which I think is extraordinarily valuable. Uh, it's their own IP. Uh, and three, the the access to the market is basically you know, when I, I had a look at implied volatility, like I can, you can deal at mids almost. So there's no slippage or transact the transaction costs are minimal. So, you know, if you want to get set and, and, and you know, get on with the game, then it's, it's right there in front of you, I think. What, um, when you, what, what, what do you wish you had known when you got started trading? Well, talk about going deep, Patrick. Um, I think, so when I was preparing today and thinking about today, I, I sort of, I have three, there's, I've been a trader and I've been an investor. And I think the two, I, I think the two are, are extraordinarily different. Um, and I think within the trading component, I've been an investment bank trader and I've been a sole trader, and those two are, are 720 degrees apart. So I think I would have been, I think I knew on the futures floor what, this, what the individual guys, I, I had huge respect for them, the fact that they stumped up every day with their own money and they took what I saw as huge amounts of risk. Uh, often the guys trading books for the banks didn't particularly thought those guys were fleas and, and didn't particularly, you know, didn't partic didn't admire them. Uh, I, I admired them hugely for their ability to, to take risk. I, I just wish I had a, had a, had more admiration and investigated it more, and re because now it's taken me 
or it's taken me a year and it's still I'm still learning I'm by no means by anywhere near it um, I'm, I'm having to continually wrestle with that every day and I think it would have been easier to to, to shrug off some of your biases and, and the things that hold you back if I hadn't known that right from the beginning. So have it's you, an appreciation for just how, what a wonderful skill and how hard it is. Kieran, how do you, um, as a now full-time trader, how do you um, protect yourself from, say, over-trading or, or finding trades where there's no trades there because you're, you're stumping up every day to <laughs> calling, your, you know, putting on your trading hat you know, how, how, how do you how do you make sure that you trade when the trades are there and you don't when they're not? Um, I have a pretty good support network. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a good friend, a couple of good mates that I talk to. One in particular, who's done it for a very long time. So I have a mentor, as it were, and he was actually a mentor to me when I was at Macquarie. So I, I sort of he taught me as a floor trader. Yeah. Um, that would be the, that's the first thing. Uh, I still speak to a lot of people. Um, yeah. As much as I can, as much as I can, uh, and the other thing is, which I learned last week, was that getting a perspective around what I'm actually, what the position that I'm doing. Or, sorry, what the, what is the position that I'm taking? So, um, for example, um, if I'm, you know part of my strategy is to be very present and engaged for the open um, for the opening of opening print in the spy which is at 10 to 10 and then for the opening of the cash across the brackets so 10 10 03 etc uh, and then for the close and the close of cash and the close of, of the spy if I just use that market that one of the markets that I trade um, when I do trade I'm very conscious that I'm accountable to myself for am I just providing liquidity here and in which case I'm happy to sell it and buy it you know in eight seconds or no today I'm going to say that you know NAB have cut their dividend by 65 percent um, they're going to do a 3.3 capital raising and I think the market is pretty much this is better than what they thought so in actual fact, I, I want to play from the long side today and not from the short side. But if it opens high enough, I'm happy to be provide liquidity and sell it, uh, but be quick and be nimble and, and buy it back. But I don't want to get caught short on the day because I feel like everyone else is everyone else is driving the other way, everyone else is parked the other way, and I don't want to be filling. I don't want to be helping them out. I want to be getting in front of them. So it's being able to. Um, know what that position is when I put it on. You know, Pat, we talked about this before, it's I've got a plan. So if I liken it to say like a cricket, like a cricket analogy, before I go into bat and I know that, you know, and I know that Michael Holding is going to come in and bowl, I, I know what I'm going to do when he bowls a bouncer at me. I'm not going to be surprised when it pitches halfway down the pitch and it's going to take my head off and be wondering what I'm going to do. So I've got a plan. Yep. And that that would be, you know, that so that's the plan. And and then once I'm once I'm into the position, and I've I mean I've spoken to you, I've spoken about this a couple of times, when I'm into the position, it's really key is to say, okay, what well, the first thing I'm doing is saying, well, how does that feel? Does it feel good? Is it is it or does it not? I'm happy to be uncomfortable, because if I'm uncomfortable then probably means I'm at risk, which means I'm a chance of making money and losing money. But then the next question is to say, okay, well, where am I getting out? If I'm, where, where am I getting out when I'm right, when I'm wrong? And if it goes where, if I'm, if I'm going to get out there when I'm wrong, how am I going to feel when it gets there? And then if I'm going to get out when it goes right, how am I going to feel when it gets there? And if I can have, if I can ever have those positions where, um, and they do come, where that payoff and is skewed, they're the positions that you want. Okay, well, if it goes down there, I'm happy. That's okay. And if it goes up there, then that's really, really good. Well, then my my payoff profile is skewed, and they're the positions that you actually want because you, you you're gonna you're in a better position then. Because then you have the ability 
to make more decisions, make better, continue making good decisions. And in general, when that happens, you you tend to make money, like in life. You know, in life, if you continue making good decisions, then you're you're generally in a good place. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, uh, Rowan um, has asked: Did you study anything, books, methodologies, trading techniques, past traders, to learn the method of going short? Your method of going short. <laughs> um, well, I read I read a few books early in my career. Um, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator was is obviously one that comes to mind, which is you know probably one of the most popular. Um, and that I think was taught me a lot about um, you know holding all the cards and uh, and what liquidity you know what it means for liquidity and what it means for buyers and sellers. Um, I, I think for me, my part of my success in transferring from an open outcry market to a screen traded market was my ability to take my um, take all of the pieces that I'd learned from the floor and, and actually just put them in the screen. To me, when I look at the screen, the screen talks to me. Like I can, you know, the, the, there's different sounds. You can set up your sounds and you can set up your colours and you can set up your fonts and do all that. I would encourage people to do that. But I think because it's very visual, that's, that would be something that I didn't even think about today, but that's definitely, definitely would be a good tip because then you're getting information and, and it's it's sound. And on, on the floor, it was, you know, it was everything. It was sounds, it was temperature it was you know there was every every possible sense you had to be had to be aware of and then I think you can just parlay that into how that feels so to get short um, I, I find yeah so I find in answer to Ron's question I think it's just that that ability to to um, to manage your position so it takes a bit of practice and if you can practice in a in a demonstration mode, or you know, if you can trade, there's micro e minis that do you know five bucks a tick, or micro futures in Australia that five bucks a tick, I think. So you can sort of trade those quite small. Um, so you learn how to just manage your position. Um, and there's been a couple of other books. I mean, you, when you read all those books, when you any of those real trading books, you know, The Big Short or any of those ones, like. Always seems to be way more exciting. Like, I mean, being the longest stock when it gets taken over, I suppose, is pretty good. But most of the time, you get those, you know, down by the escalator and sorry, down by the what do they say? Up by the escalator, down by the elevator. <laughs> so Rowan wanted a, a list of uh, books. Uh, so the first one was uh, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. You mentioned. What are some yeah, of the other books you read over time? Um, the Big Short. Uh, the cliche as it sounds, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Yeah, a lot of traders say that actually. It's interesting. <laughs> it's such a. It is like an abridged I version. Feel like feel like a feel like Christian Bale or someone like that. What was that? There's an abridged version of Art of War, which is not too hard to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the one I'm. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty short book to begin with. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's like some um, of the writing that they, they have like abridged versions of and you go like, okay, well, you know, just read a summary of, of in an essay form. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. In in general I think if if um if you have other experiences in, in that you've done other things, say for example, uh, uh I'm I'm an avid golfer um and also I love fly fishing. Like I find when I read books about people that are really um, really skilled at those pastimes there's a hell of a lot of um, there's a hell of a lot of concepts and truisms that 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 flow through to trading a lot of you know if you um, read if you read books by Jack Nicholas and then you go and apply some of those some of those um, theories to trading uh, they, they hold they hold water um, and then the other things is it's 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 all really for me. It's just always so much about psychology because 
the money, especially with machine, especially with algorithms and the interconnectedness of all markets now, any information that you have in in your hands is by default, any information that you have in your hands is either in the market or you can't trade on it. So you, you can have the information and then form an opinion that gives you something that tells you to do something, but an act, but really anything, you know, like so if a, if a CEO resigns, well, you know, the market knew that already. And if the market doesn't know it already and you're selling the stock because the CEO resigns, well, guess what? You're, you're not, you know, you're, you're breaching the law, corporations law. Um, so in terms of, in terms of how you want to, you, you want to work out the second level or the third level of the information. So what does that mean? And I'll give an example. Um, when I was trading, I was trading a stock, uh, and it was it was a steel stock, and it had been um, been heavily shorted. And then a Japanese company had come out and said that they were happy to buy the company. And the stock sort of basically flicked up about five percent. And I remember thinking that that was extraordinarily strange that a company could come out and say, "Well, the, the stock was at thirty cents," and the company said, "Oh, we'll, and the and the Japanese company said, "Oh, we'll pay." like 46 cents or something for the stock. And I remember thinking, wow, that's bizarre. And it didn't do anything. And at the time, there was options over this stock. And so I went and sort of was looking at it going, well, it seems to me like there could be an option trade on here. I went and spoke to the analyst, and the analyst told me that the what, it, what part of, if you read into the fine print of the deal, the deal was was that this was going to happen, and then this was going to happen, and then on this date in January, they were going to send the check, and until the check, basically, it was the classic, the check's in the But it wasn't until that that check got sent and received that there was any chance of the actual deal going through. And until then, nothing was going to happen. So I put a small trade onto my book at the time, or I structured my book such that I was... Um, I basically geared myself up so that I was long long January and short December, um, and then once the December had rolled off and the check and the check was in the mail and the check came through and then all the price action happened. Now what happened was is that when the analyst was telling the story, that was a bit of that was a sidebar. He was he was specifically talking about the metrics and the PE and this was going to happen and all that sort of stuff. And then when that check came through, this was going to and I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. What, what do you, what's that check piece? So it's those pieces of information that might seem innocuous to, to many people that if they can deliver you the second and third level of, oh, so that's where that trade could be. I need to go and see, is there an option structure I can put into my book that will that will deliver that profile for me? I don't really want anything to happen until December, but I want, want it all to kick through in January. Oh, look at that. I can do a calendar call spread or whatever you want. I don't know what you guys call it, but... You know, I can sell a deck by, by Jan and that'll make Jan nice and cheap and we'll see what happens. Um, Too much information? Yeah, no, beautiful. Brian's asked a question. Kieran, do you have any advice for people trading ASX options? Um, yes, I do. Uh, trade more of them <laughs> uh, is my first thing. I think... Um, I think ASX options, I mean, I love ASX options. I think they're fantastic. I think the markets are pretty, the markets are reasonably tight. Um, and in general, the market makers are very, very fair. Uh, and I know quite a lot of them. Um, and the, you know, they're very, in general, very happy, very happy to make your markets in, in most of the expiries and, and where they need to be. Um, I would be doing, I would be trading your options. Uh, I think in general, like for me, I was always, I always like to say, I, I like to sell options at as near to the money as I can because that's where you get your most bang for your buck with your theta. And also, so in other words, the delta that's closest to 50. And I like to be long the wings. I mean, I'm just, that was how I was, that's how I was trained. Um, so you can manage 
you can manage those positions where you know the liquidity is, and then when you do get when you have those events which push it out to the wide low deltas, you've actually got some ammunition there to play with. And my second piece of advice would be that uh, the best hedge for an option is another option. So don't be afraid of building your book, particularly when you've got when it's going your way. So your longs and puts and the market falls. If you sell your puts, you're out of your position and that's done. Whereas you can elect to sell some, you know, to manage your delta appropriately if that's how you wish to do it. But be mindful that you can start building your book and that first initial decision, which is what I talked about before, mm. has become a good decision. And so therefore you can make another decision. So you're free to make another decision. You don't just have to chop it out and move on. Because those, that, that, that's when you can really start building and really creating, getting experience and also then creating what, what, a, what a fund manager would call alpha um, and really adding, adding value to your book and taking advantage of all of the Greeks that you've, you've actually, you know, you've, you've, you've played. I, I, you know, even, um, I'm mindful of the time. You, um, Pat asked me before one of the things, um, what did I wish I had known at the beginning? There's obviously a lot of stuff, but one of my discoveries that I found along the way is that, and this is particularly relevant for options, is that when the human psyche in general, when people trade, is, um, if you go, to, if you go, and I use, let's use delta for example. If, if an option is ten percent delta, what that generally means is, is it's got ten percent chance of being in the money. Um, and I don't want to get into European or American discussions, but let's say it's got a ten percent chance of expiring in the money. Let's make that easy. So let's let's say it's like going to the track, and there's a there's a horse that's ten to one. So um, in general, and I know the maths isn't spot on there, but I'm just doing this for anecdotal purposes. In general, what most people think, if I say, if you say to them, explain to me what 10 to 1 means, they will say, oh, the horse runs 10 races and it wins once. You say, yep, that's right. You say, right, okay. Which one does it win? And generally, they think it's the last one. Now, I know that sounds completely irrational, but in general, that's what they think. Now, the whole point is, is that it can win the first one. So for you trading options, if you trade a $10 option and you get it right the first time, guess what? You got another nine times where you can get it wrong before you're square. If, you, if you're just talking about buying those options. Now, the chances of that, as you know then, so if, that's what I'm talking about when you make decisions. So if you can be in a position where you look at those, look at the delta and say, right, that's a $10 option, it's 10% chance. Well, that stock's reporting that day. It's linked up here. I know those guys are going to do that. If that happens over there, this stock's going to get, it's going to go there anyway. And that's going to happen not, 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 not one in the next 10. It's going to happen this next time. Then they're the trades that can really add value to your portfolio. Kieran, I'm just going to add in, uh, I, I found that very, a, a really good analogy and um, you mentioned uh, The Big Short, which is not a book that I've read. Um, I've watched the movie like everyone else. But there was another Michael book called The Undoing Project, um, which talks to exactly the point you've made in a lot of detail about how we make decisions and how we understand the odds of things and, and people in general are, are not particularly good at it, as you said. 10 to 1, most people think it's the last race, you know, um, but if they get it right the first time, then they don't think the odds are 10 to 1 anymore, right? Um, they think the odds are better. Um, so, you know, it, 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 anyway, so Rowan who was asking about books, that might be another good book to read. It's not directly a trading book, but it is, does talk to uh, the principles of how we evaluate information to make decisions or discover an edge. Um, yeah, generally. But, Generally, yeah, anything but, he writes is, is, is good as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite trading tool? My favourite trading tool? Yeah. Implied volatility? 
implied volatility. That's a lot. That of course it is. Um, <laughs> the only. Uh, uh, that's yeah. My favourite trading tool is my brain. Um, and then, uh, uh, and I think where I've got better as I've got older is I've realised I, I don't need to trade as much as I got older. Because I could trade more when I was when I was younger, and it's a bit like golf, you know. And you, you don't care about missing five footers because you just, you know, jammed in the back and you don't care. But I used to trade a lot. I used to overtrade when I was from the floor, and then I realised as I got older that I just I just needed to trade when I when it was right to trade. Um, so. Carlson, if you've got a favourite indicator. Ah yes, I do. Um, and for the small sum, well, no, um, I I quite like moving averages. Um, <laughs> and I do like, and I do like when the five crosses with the twenty. Okay. Um, and at the moment, at the moment in the E minis or the S and P futures, I quite like the fifteen minute time frame when those two cross, when the five crosses with the twenty, particularly when you can get an aggressive cross. And by that I mean, you know, it's not shallow. Like the two lines are, are like a, you know, like a, like an X, not like a, you know, not like an X-wing fighter in a Star Wars movie. That makes sense. So, <laughs> so I like those. I do like, I do like RSIs. I like MACD. Um, Bollinger bands are okay. Um, my my favourite trading tool, I think, um, is and therefore would be implied volatility is, is volatility. I, I I think my my delta trading is 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 enhanced immeasurably by option information. Yeah. And I think that is often the missing piece that, that many, many, many fund managers and traders alike don't use. I, I I don't think they use it I don't think they use options enough to actually you know if you went you know if you go into the ETA market on Friday afternoon, and you say, "What what's the market expecting from the NAB dividend? Yep. Next NAB dividend, it was 30 to 35 cents. And guess where it was? You know, all the analysts had it here, people had it there, no matter what it was. And the, the guys that were, the guys who make their money from that, the guys whose, whose life depends upon what it is, they actually get it right. And that that's, is my, my favorite tool is option, our options. I can I can do delta trading galore with all the information that's presented to me in the curve. Is the skew high? Is the skew flat? Is, is longer dated vague and low because there's going to be a takeover and the stock's going to be just going to turn into cash? <clears throat> and we do display this number on the uh, stock screener, by the way, the upcoming predicted dividend as defined by the options prices. So. If you don't want to see it, you can see it right there in the stock screen. Oh well, there you go. So that's that's uh, that's the, that's kicking goals there. Love that stuff. Oh, yeah, just a just a just a couple of things, uh, a couple of housekeeping issues. Because um, I bear in mind we are about to tick over to eight o'clock. The next week we have got Susquana, Rob Risk, Market Maker coming in to join us. Got a um, you know a, a, a career around the place um, and some interesting background as a trader and he's going to be coming in and joining us as a market maker to answer any of your questions that you've got and to give you some insight to the experience that market makers have and that the experiences market makers had over the last six weeks will have been once in a lifetime, like for all of us, but they would have been in the hot seat. Um, and he'll be talking I'll, be, I'll, be tuning, I'll be tuning into that one because... Uh, yeah. Robbie Risk is an old mate of mine. I worked with him. I've worked with him for a few years. Um, and also for a bloke, for a bloke last name's Risk, um, he's perfectly yeah. named for a trader, right? So there you go. Yeah, yeah, so that'll, yeah. Be very, that'll be very entertaining. Yeah, good, good, good. So yeah, all right. Well, yeah, that's good to hear. So Robbie's coming in next week, uh, next Tuesday, seven pm. Um, and we are running these sessions every week, uh, bringing in people from a whole range of backgrounds, private traders funds managers, um, a combination of both. We had the ASX in a few weeks ago, market maker next week. Uh, so if you're interested in training and learning, these sessions are invaluable. Tonight's session's been brilliant. I've learned a lot. And um, 
And I'll just say, anyone leaving the session tonight, if you're not using our platform, you want a 30-day trial, just type yes into the chat box now, or you can uh, request it as you leave through the survey. But yes into the chat box, and we'll set you up with a 30-day trial. Um, we create the leading technology in Australia for options trading. Um, our focus is on working with people who are serious traders or want to become serious traders, uh, and sessions like tonight are about giving you the insight and the mind of what people are actually out there who are doing it uh, are seeing. On Thursdays, we run a uh, Ivan and I run a, a, a trade group discussion where we look at the trades we're seeing in the market and generally debate the market, and a lot of the people that come on to the, uh, join us each week are experienced traders and, and, and give in their insights into what they're seeing uh, or want to discuss their trades as well. So Tuesdays at lunchtime, you can book in that off the, news, the morning newsletter um, that we send out each day or off our website. Um, so please come and join us. If you want to just uh, book in off this session, just type attend into the chat box if you want to come along to our uh, Thursday sessions and we'll get you in there um, uh, and, and get involved. So uh, let me just think, have I got a final question? Ivan, have you got a final question you'd like to ask, Kieran? No, I, I think that broadly... Um, yeah, I was just going to say there's a whole heap of questions that I want to ask, so maybe we can do this again in, in uh, uh, six to eight weeks or so. I think I'd, I'd love to yeah. ask a whole heap of questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, well, and maybe, Kieran, what I'd love to do is get you back because what you gave, great presentation on um, how you structured your portfolio when we went through the US elections a few years back. And yeah. I think it, it's a really good... It was a really good example because um, that it's you know put it, hedging has been something that I've done a fair bit of over the years, but it's never as straightforward as you think when you go into it. <laughs> um, and, you know because the market might fall, you've got a big profit, and then it might go back up again. There's a whole range of things to think about. I thought that example was brilliant, so we might invite you back if that's okay to talk about that particular topic. Um, uh, maybe after the options game finishes. Um, that would be brilliant if you could. But I've got one final question, um, and that is, what's the biggest event for you or what's your most significant trading memory? I mean, there's, there, there's a lot, but I think, I think for me, uh, I mean, there, there, there are a lot, but one that really often springs to mind is um, on, the, on the Friday before Lehman's, went bust. Uh, at the time I was working on the, um, I was running a, a, an option facilitation division at Macquarie um, and part of that was basically, well my role there was to speak to hedge funds and to face hedge funds OTC for any anything that they wanted to do, specifically focused on derivatives, options etc. Um, and I had a call from, I'd spoken to a guy a couple of times and his colleague in Tokyo called, called me on the Friday afternoon and asked me to make a price in 25 million bucks in the four banks, uh, in, in downside puts. <laughs> and I remember thinking it was like hubba three. And I remember thinking, wow, that's weird. Like guys never called us. And anyway, at the time, I sort of thought it was quite strange. Um, so I sort of said, oh, yeah, one second. I just need to see if we've got credit and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I went and spoke to the powers that be. And um, after a little bit of sort of dancing around on, on hot cakes and whatever, I managed to convince this guy that we wouldn't be able to get it through in time, the credit through in time, approval through in time to, to not trade. And uh, so, and that guy was from Lehman as well. So, so I sort of thought, um, well, there's sort of two bits of the story there. You think, wow, you've dodged a massive bullet there because you would have, you would have lost a fortune. Um, but then, uh, I often wonder what would have happened if I had have got something done because I would have gone and put the hedge on 
and then the original deal where I'd sold to the Lehman's guys would have been dissolved. So I just would have been long all that downside that you know he was trying to buy vicariously because his the sell leg had cancelled. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I sort of I dodged this massive bullet, and of course Lehman's went broke over that weekend. So I sort of <laughs> closed the book there. That then it all happens, and then all hell breaks loose, and then basically that was the yeah, that was the real catalyst for everything falling to pieces. Um, and so I often think, wow, that would have been. Or I had an amazingly interesting <laughs> twelve months after that, anyway. But or you know, twelve months around that period, anyway. But it would have been even would have been very profitable if that had had it transpired. So that's one of them. But then I could sit here, Pat, talk for hours. I got I got so many war stories. So I just want to say. Uh, it's very nice for all of you to listen to uh, me ramble on about trading stuff. Um, I'm more than I would love to come back and talk. That's a lot of fun, uh, yeah. and I hope that uh, I've provided a little bit of uh, intelligence for those that are listening. Uh, anybody who wants to reach out, please reach out on LinkedIn. I can answer your questions or have a chat, whatever you like. Yeah. Mate, much appreciated. Fantastic presentation on behalf of everyone in attendance today. There was over 100 people on the session. Thank you very much. And um, we, would, we would love to have you back again. Thank you for taking the time uh, and putting so much thought into that presentation. It was wonderful. We're lucky to have you along. Um, thank you and good day. Ivan, don't, don't know if you've got anything final you want to add in there? No, no, but thanks a lot for coming and I look forward to the next one. Thanks, Ivan. Thanks, Pat. That's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.